rolling. Welcome to Last in Line Podcast, where we are highlighting, showcasing, and spotlighting great leaders of faith who have overcome adversity, cultivated resilience, and served others in a significant capacity. So settle in and be encouraged by this episode of Last in Line Podcast. Hey guys, uh, welcome back to another episode. And for those of you that remember last time, uh, we tried to do this, which is none of you, because it didn't make the cut. We had major <laughs> technical difficulties, and so the devil's not getting in on this one. So, Kent Evans, welcome back to Last in Line Podcast. John, always, it's an honor to be with you. And just for the guy listening, I love John Shibley. He's the real deal. He prays for me. He texts me. He encourages me. So, John, you're a true friend in the ministry, and I appreciate you letting me come back on. Well, I thank you for that. And for those of you who don't know, Kent uh, was voluntold to be my spiritual <laughs> uncle um, back probably a year or so ago. I just kind of volunteered him for that. So he doesn't even That's know hilarious. it yet, but welcome to that announcement. Uh, you're the first ones to hear that. They <laughs> <laughs> heard it before I did. That's amazing. Exactly. Exactly. No, he's been, you've been good for, for wisdom and guidance and, and spiritual counsel and certain things. Maybe you don't even realize it, but uh, it's been a good relationship and I'm glad uh, I kind of just kicked in the door on, on being your friend. And uh, we are going to uh, rock and roll today. Uh, but before we start the main meat and potatoes here, can mm. give me an idea what you think a walk away win for a dad listening to this podcast would be. What does it look like? You don't even know the content of what we're going to talk about. You don't have no idea. You just have an idea that maybe it's about dads. Maybe it's about men, maybe it's about friendship, you don't know. But what in your mind, based on what you're good at and what your wheelhouse is, what's a walkaway win for somebody mm -hmm. listening? I would put it in the form of a scripture verse, and that's Galatians 6, 9. Mm -hmm. And Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So if I do my job well today, uh, a guy listening, again, whether you're a dad or whether you're just a dude trying to figure life out, or even if you're a lady who snuck into this podcast somehow, I hope you get off this podcast encouraged and you get off this podcast being ready to not give up and to persevere. That's good. That's good. Cause I, I had delayed harvest on my radar, just that term delayed harvest for parents. Cause there's people doing it right out there. There's people sowing good seeds. There's people loving on their family that maybe they just haven't seen an ROI quite yet to the degree that they were expecting, but it's coming. Uh, so I, I think somebody's in for a breakthrough mentally and emotionally, spiritually today. Um, it's always a blessing to have Kent. Um, you know, if, if I guess the goal obviously is to help people understand the weight of the weight. So the W-E-I-G-H-T of the W-A-I-T. So there's a weight that comes along with waiting and waiting on God, waiting on your family, waiting even on yourself to maybe hit a potential level to elevate yourself. But um, if, if let's just go informal super surface level right now, you know, there's a coffee conversation in a coffee house somewhere. Um, I want you to complete these sentences for me. Um, you're, you're sitting there, okay. you're in a group of guys and you're drinking some, some coffee as I am right now. Uh, it's never too late in the day, by the way, for those of you judging me right now. Okay. Thank you. I knew we were kindred spirits. Um, here we go. Fill in the blank, Kent. As a dad, I could be more intentional in the area of prayer. Hmm. Okay. Wow. That's a good one. Um, I hope my kids remember blank. Where I put my car keys. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I hope my kids remember that I was simply trying to follow Jesus, not follow me exactly, but that I was trying to follow Jesus. Mm. Well, two good ones. We could just cut it off right here and send out a copy to everybody we know. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, how about this one? I look forward to the day when. Ooh, that's a good question. I'm such a like a ADD hyper guy. I don't think about the future very often. Uh, maybe so in like the in context the moment, of like our look kids forward, and yeah, yeah, maybe that. I look forward. I look forward to the day when 
um, my children have children of their own and not for the purpose of going one day, you're going to have to deal with the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But for the purpose of you, once you have children, you, you do have, um, I think a fun and interesting new dimension to how you understand how God thinks and feels once you become a parent, it's just a different experience. And so I, I hope my kids get to enjoy that same experience. Yeah, because sometimes we can articulate that and and it's still maybe a not until they are in those shoes to really fully conceptualize it and get it and love that concept. Um, I'm glad you didn't say, you know, I can look I look forward to the day when they take out the trash without being told. Like, I'm glad you didn't <laughs> say that, but because <laughs> your kids probably do all that uh, without being told. So, uh, oh, man, 100 percent flawless children. I have flawless children. All right. Just kidding. Good. Uh, just perfect. kidding. Just they might kidding. listen to this, so <laughs> get your head through the door if you're listening and you're Ken Evans' son. Yeah, right, um, right. All right, so how many kids do you have, by the way? Um, I have five sons. They are ages eight up to 23. So I have one married, one in college. I have an amazing daughter-in-law, by the way. We're like one for one in terms of daughters-in-law. It's amazing. So I have a, one, one married out of college, one in college, one finishing high school, one in fifth grade, one in second grade. Okay, Wow. The whole, the whole broad spectrum. Um, I, I miss the second grade years. I mean, I really do. It went by in a flash and you probably can attest with your older ones even. So you're getting a, you're getting kind of a do over. You're getting kind of a, a perspective to see through a lens of gratitude and just kind of soak it up in the moment. Cause if yeah. you're like me, maybe you let a few of those blow by you um, instead of just kind of smelling the roses. Uh, but you know, you might know something about parenting was the point of all that for my audience. And you are the executive director of manhood journey. Um, now, sorry, full disclosure. I do not know. Did you start this ministry from the ground up? Did you build this? Did, was this, was this your dream? Did you kind of come up with the manhood journey ministry? There were three of us. Uh, uh, the short answer is yes, but with a lot of help in the sense mm -hmm. that there were a handful of us who started writing content and curriculum for dads to do Bible studies with their sons. That was the mm -hmm. first thing that we did back in 2011 or 12. We started that. And so <clears throat> it's been about 12, 13 years since we started, but yeah, it was like, it was a whiteboard and then it was some initial content and then it was some better content and then on it went. So there were three of us in the inner circle and one of those guys is still on the board today. And one of those guys just rolled off the board recently. So great friends and co-collaborators. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so my question, I guess, would be, did you just look around? Because obviously we don't have to look too far, but did you look around and realize there might be uh, a need for more content or you felt like your spin on fatherhood might serve some dudes that you knew that were kind of in your sphere of influence? I mean, or did you just feel like God say, hey, dude, this is what you're going to be doing. This is what you're called yeah. to do. Man, you know, it's interesting because I looked, not when you have a little bit of perspective, I, I mean, it's only been about 10 or 12 years. So some people that might sound like a lifetime, but when you're, when you're in your fifties, that sounds like just one little chapter. So when I, but when I do look back, I feel like the way God did it with us and quite frankly, the way he does it with almost all of us about everything is it's piece by piece. You know, he, like you, you walk three feet down the road. Um, I heard a guy say it like this one time, John, he said, usually the way God leads you, he says, he says in his word, he says, his word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And this guy, I heard this guy talking one time and he said, so it's kind of like God is leading you through life and all you have is a lamp. And <laughs> if you think of the context of that lamp in the old Testament, I mean, what could you have seen in front of you with a lamp, two feet, five feet, eight. I mean, maybe if it's a clear night, six, eight feet, um, you couldn't see the whole thing. You couldn't see the whole thing. And, and I think that's how God leads us. He leads us one step at a time, one brick at a time, one lily pad at a time, one step ahead of you. And then every now and then, every now and then, I do think God just flips on like the stadium lights and you look around and your eyes get big and then he turns them right back off. And he gives you just enough of a picture of, wow, you, you, you mean you're asking me to do and then the lights go back off <laughs> and he goes, look, man, just Here's take the possible. lamp. Yeah. Just take the lamp. And so it's, it's a bit of obedience step by step. And so I, 
we didn't have some grand plan. We weren't trying to, you know, do all the things that God has allowed us to do. We just were trying to be faithful and create a Bible study for dads to do with their kids. And at the time of recording this episode, right about now in the next month or two, we're going to bump into uh, having reached our 1 millionth dad with some content. Um, and bro, that was no major strategy. That's no brilliance on my part. We don't even have enough funding to have pulled that off. It's just God has opened the doors and we've tried to be faithful to walk through them. That's real good. Uh, and you brought it up. So I was going to try to make it through a podcast without a football analogy, but you said stadium <laughs> lights. So now I got to, maybe there's a reason God uh, made football where you move the ball down the field a little bit, but then you huddle up and then you move down the field and then you huddle up. So you got to get yeah. guys around you. You got to have a strategy. You got to have a, ta- you know, some tactics. You got to get a game plan. And then you can see the end zone, but you got to, you know, get the yard in front of you before you get there. And, and that's a great, that's a great point. Um, I, I think what, I guess my question too is, um, you know, hitting 1 million guys, like you, you never, I say never, I'm going to, I maybe would not have expected something that magnificent when I started that ministry if I was you. I don't know that you saw that. Maybe God did flash the lights and say, there's a big audience, but you didn't know how to quantify that. Um, what's been the most rewarding? I mean, other than that mm. stat, you could just put that in your in your pocket and be good mm. enough with that stat. But what's been the most rewarding along the way? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I think that t- two things have been the most rewarding. One has been watching God open doors that there's no way I could have opened Um, one. And I'll tell you a quick story in that regard. But then Mm -hmm. the second thing, second thing is, uh, and I hope your listener is discerning enough to know I'm not making this up. I'm not saying this just because you and I are on this podcast, but it has literally been the men I've met along the way, like you and the, and when you and I had lunch down in uh, Houston uh, Mm -hmm. with Pat Combs and Mm -hmm. his son and my boys. And I'm like, I was just got a phone call a few minutes ago with the former NFL player guy named Jeff Kemp, who I love and adore that guy. I would have never met Jeff were it not for the ministry probably. And so the people I've met along the way well, have been, let me, can I interject? Blast. Can I interject there? Uh, he was on this podcast because of you. So that's how full circle we've, you know, connected ah, cool. the dots for all that. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. love Jeff. So, so it's the, the people I've met along the way, but then the first one has just been watching God move. So like I'm literally standing while we record this episode in the same spot. I was standing a couple of years ago when my son comes downstairs and tells me, Hey, there's somebody here in the driveway and they want to see you. And he goes, I can't remember who they are. Like he was trying to put it all together. Someone had just dropped by the house. I go upstairs. I recognize it's a friend of mine from church. And, um, He's sitting in his car and his kid brought up this envelope and um, I'm like, what's going on? And it was the 31st of December, New Year's Eve, early in the morning. And I don't know if you guys know this, but sometimes in the nonprofit world, you tend to get more donations in the month of December because it's the end of the tax year and people are trying to get their donation in under the tax wire. And so it's not uncommon for you to get a couple checks late in the December or, you know, so I walk inside, John, and I open this envelope. And the check was for $40,000, 40, four zero. I have never in my life seen a personal check for that amount of money. Like it's a handwritten number, four, zero, comma, zero, zero, zero. And I was like, what just happened? And here's what's the coolest part, right? Number one, I didn't know that guy even had that much financial capacity to give that much. He's not on like the hit list of local philanthropic targets in Louisville. Um, I didn't call him. I didn't solicit him. I didn't have a strategy. We didn't send him direct mail. There was nothing that caused him to give that money except his own generosity and the hand of almighty God. Like, I mean, I didn't do it. And I just, I look at it, man. And one of the coolest blessings of doing what I've done the last five or 10 years has been you rake and you hoe and you, you work and you chop and you hammer in one part of the field. And then boop, Somewhere over there, a stalk of corn comes up and it's just God going, hey, man, keep up the good work. However, don't forget where the harvest comes from. I am in charge of the harvest. I'm the Lord of the harvest, not you. And that's been the absolute coolest part is just watching God open doors one after the other that I could have never opened. You would have kept, you know, tilling the fields had you not gotten that check 
is what is beautiful about it, which I know that about you because you felt like you were called to do this. But I mean, I got news for the enemy. Like that check's going to keep winding your sales for another 20 years. I mean, if nothing (laughs) ever happens after that, like I think that that suffice it to say that got you probably a little bit ignited in your spirit a little bit, just because you were like, it could have been for $10, just knowing that that guy out of the blue came and God put him there. That's enough. Yeah. And, and to your point, it's not the amount it is, even though that's stark and it's still the largest single gift an individual has given to our ministry um, at one time. Um, so having said that, it's not so much the amount as it is the, the sheer lack of work that I did to get it. <laughs> like, and I'm not saying we didn't do our thing. Like, like what I mean is, yeah, we're slugging it away. We're trying hard yeah. and all that. We put in the hours, we're putting in the effort, the reps, but, but just, I just love it when God shows up in a way where he just kind of winks at you, you know? And he's like, mm, yeah, that was me. Now they all are him, right? We just miss 95% of them every now and then he just makes it so obvious so that we can't miss it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, I mean, I, my, my, my audience has got to be, you know, kind of doing this, nodding their eye, you know, rolling their eyes if they're, if they're not watching this on, but, but that scripture I say about every other episode, the six, nine, the Galatians six, nine, and it applies to everything. And, and to that for sure, you know, don't grow weary because there is a harvest and, and, you know, prepare your fields for rain. It talks about, and, and God will provide the rain. Like we just got to prepare the field. Um, So I guess, in specific to manhood and fatherhood, what have you seen as maybe something glaringly obvious that's a vacancy uh, with guys mm. and what we're lacking in the department of, let's just be specific, fa- fatherhood. That That's yeah. your swim lane. Um, I know yeah. you could answer any other question around that, but what's glaringly obvious right now in, in today and age? I would say the the thing that I see the most often, both in my own walk uh, and also in just the dads that we work with, is a a discomfort um, or a lack of attention to spending time in God's Word. So, like guys will ask me all the time, "Hey, what have you learned about being a good dad and being a godly dad from all the men you've worked with?" Because it's not that I'm so much the example. It's not that Ken everybody should do it like Ken Evans. It's just that because of what I do for a living. I bump into thousands of dads, you know, through emails and surveys and events, you know, I just bump into all these guys. And because of that, I'm, I'm building a a database in my head of what's working and what's not working. And I would say that by and large, most dads don't really have a command of scripture that they want. I'm not saying they should do it like, cause I said, so they tell that to me. They just say, mm-hmm. man, I just, I don't know the Bible well enough, or I don't feel like I can teach my kids, or, you know, I feel like my wife knows more than I do about scripture. There's just this kind of like almost sad puppy dog type approach to God's word where they're all, all gee, I should do more. And they feel under some kind of obligation or weight. So I would say the one thing that I've observed uh, is dads need to be in God's word more often, usually, usually. And um, most of the problems we have as fathers aren't necessarily because just being a dad is hard. It's because we have like a theological problem. So like, let me give you one quick example. Um, A lot of dads feel like they're not doing enough for their family. So like we do, we do surveys all the time. We've gotten thousands of answers and dads are like, I'm not doing enough. I don't know how to balance time. I don't feel like I'm doing enough, doing enough, doing enough, doing enough. If you peel that onion back enough, that dad doesn't have a fatherhood problem. He has a theology problem. And here's the problem that he has. He thinks it's his job Mm -hmm. to be the source of everything for his family. Who told him he needed to do that? (laughs) Nobody. Well, Satan. I mean, our enemy would have. But it's not. I'm not the alpha and the omega. I'm not the beginning and the end. Right. I've told my kids, oh, man, hundreds of times. Don't, Don't just take my word for it. Go check it out in God's word. Like, please let me know if I'm wrong, right? As my kids have gotten older, man, I've had months of conversations with one of my sons about the topic of faith and uh, throughout the New Testament because he was working on a senior thesis. And I've learned a lot from him about that topic. And so for, for me, dads who feel like they 
they somehow need to be the source for their family. Um, that's a that's a theologically backward position. I'm not the source. I'm a conduit. I'm a I'm a relay guy, right? I'm not the source. Don't plug into me. Don't plug into me. Plug into the real source. Um, yeah. And that's just one example where we've got to take a little bit of pressure off ourselves because yeah. we're trying to we're accidentally being we're giving in that temptation to be God. No, that's not my job. My yeah. job is to point them to God. Yeah, and and present company included on that because you're 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 reading my mail and and I will say to your point of it's the enemy that's telling us that because he knows we'll never live up to that. So I mean, you, the freedom, chase, the, right? Yeah. You know, the freedom is to know that's from the enemy, and you need to probably take your hands off the wheel so tight because you're never going to achieve that. So let's just let you off the hook right now, uh, or let me off the hook. Uh, so well, I guess. A then and now picture of Ken Evans. How did you get to where you're not in that group you just talked about of guys that are sort of like, I don't know enough script, you know, because maybe you were in that camp at one point. Did you just, was it just as simple and straightforward as I was just intentional about making time, scheduling time, getting in the word and just figuring mm. out how to make that a discipline or or tell the guys how they get over that hump? Mm. Um, well, one, I would say I'm still in that camp, right? In that, in the sense that um, I, God even says his his wisdom is unsearchable. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a there's a depth to what God wants to show us <clears throat> that never goes away, never goes away. So I'm not done. I'm not on. You know, I'm not at the end of some road where I'm just going to wait for all the other dumb guys to show up. Where I'm so smart. That's not where I am. We are all on this journey of learning more about God and increasing in our knowledge. You know, mm -hmm. Jesus in Luke two, it says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. And so there's this growth component, even to the savior of the world, he had to grow. And so for us, we need to always be growing. I'm still hopefully in the process of growing. I would say that even when I was um, a full-time business guy, right. And I'm flying all over and doing marketing stuff. Um, I just developed um, a passion for God's word. I just did. Um, and it's a gift of God. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, it was something I did. It just, he just put in my heart, a burning desire to know him better. And I remember one time, John, I was reading the book of John and it was of course, John one. And it says, Jesus in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And it goes on to talk about how Jesus is the word. And I remember connecting the dots one day, just realizing that when I spend time in God's word that I would call the current modern Bible that I'm using, right? That's there's the logos and the mm -hmm. rhema. But when I, when I spend time in God's word, I'm spending time with Jesus because he mm -hmm. is the word. And so for me, I'm not as disciplined around as I'd like to be, man. I'm like a four or five day a weeker, you know, I'm not a seven day a weeker, but uh, I'm, I'm a four or five day or where I, I would, I would devote a portion of my time almost every morning of the weekdays to spending a good amount of time in God's word. Because honestly, man, uh, the switch that flipped for me was I went from thinking it was something I have to do to realizing that it is something I get to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, if I, if I had a million bucks <clears throat> and I told the guys listening, Hey, if you just call me, I'll give you a million bucks. No guy would sit there and go, oh gosh, I've got to call Kent. I have to call him. I have to get my million dollars. That's not the way we would have, we would look at something like a financial gift. Mm -hmm. Why would we look at God's word any differently? We go, oh, mm -hmm. I, I should read more. I have to, I ought to. Wow, man. Come on over to the water where we decide it's actually something we get to do. It's yeah. a privilege and an honor. It's like water for our souls. Yeah, and I guess how we how we can make that more tangible for guys because guys are touch it, smell it, taste it, see it, and I, I don't know. I think we have. It's called faith, obviously, but we gotta figure out how we can make it our own and make that God's love letter to us specifically. If we think it's just a broad brush document that just kind of paints over the entire landscape of the world and maybe we'll get sprinkled in there occasionally, you know, in whatever situation we're going, or we have to have some lightning bolt moment that we're like, okay, now I got it. You know, there, mm. there is a God. It is for me. Like that mm. happened in my life. I don't, I don't, you know, why do we have to not, why do we have to do that? But 
is that some is that a fair assessment that maybe because we can't tangibilize that if that's mm. a word uh, enough? I mean, did you have to get to a point where you're like, oh, you know, uh, I saw mm. a healing or I a windfall, you know, financially or I, I, an answered prayer, or, or you just woke up and were like. Man, I realized Jesus is my only way, mm. and this is the mm. word from him to me. Man, I think it's like uh, most things that we we get to a place where it becomes habitual, yeah. uh, whether that's go hit a bucket of golf balls or that is, you know, barbecue, a steak every Friday night, whatever is kind of like the rhythm or the patterns of our lives. Um, I don't think of the I don't think the the best ones usually don't happen overnight. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like you go from December 31st, you don't ever read God's word, January 1st, you're in an hour a day. Like, I don't think it's usually that yeah. dramatic. Mm-hmm. I think it's over time, you 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 dive in and then you realize, man, today that really mattered. And then you do it again the next day and again the next day. So, I, for example, mm-hmm. um, today, <clears throat> today, when I woke up and was going to spend a little time in God's word, I was pressed for time today. So I probably spent, I don't know, 15, maybe 30 minutes uh, in scripture. I decided that my heart, my mind, they were racing. They were like, like I felt, um, I don't want to say oppressed. It's, it wasn't that dark. It was just like a tension in my mind where I was anxious. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I literally went and I typed in open Bible than the word peace into Google. And I landed at one of my very favorite Bible websites. It's literally called openbible.info. If you guys Mm. want to go check it out Mm. and they just have a really good topical search. It's a really healthy topical search. It pulls up a ton of scripture and I just went open Bible peace and I typed it into Google. And then I saw John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me, Jesus, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so the reason I share that scripture is because you and I are recording this on a Wednesday. Yeah. It happens to be Wednesday. Well, the, the issue that I had in rolling around in my head and heart this Wednesday was just, I was anxious and I was tense and I had things pressing in on me. And so my knee jerk reaction was to go search and find what does God have to say in his word about peace? And then all of a sudden, guess what? It became very tangible. Yeah. It became yeah. very tactile, wow. very real, very relevant to me today. Because yeah. I wasn't just reading some random scripture. I started with, man, God, what's going on in my heart, man? Why am I so anxious? And he's like, you need more peace. And so I just That's started looking so up good. scriptures on peace. That's so good. I mean, and because you had, you know, guys can apply that because they can go pursue something that, is going to meet them, right? It's palpable. It's going to be right where they can taste it. And like you did, you, but you had to be cognizant enough to know, all right, I'm scattered. I'm anxious. <laughs> I'm uneasy. Let me go find something that might kind of pour over that situation and kind of give me that. And you did. And, and two chapters before that, he talks about, you know, here's my piece, not like the world gives, but like I give like the peace. So in those two chapters, like he's talking about peace so it must mean something like it must be important. Like he keeps talking about. It. So there's ways to find and 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 it invites God to in to meet you right where you were. Because you I mean, I don't know if you could have just that scripture might have come to mind. Maybe it wouldn't. But I think guys get intimidated because they're like, I don't know where to go in here for this. I mean, my wife just kind of disrespected me and I'm a little frustrated and I maybe <laughs> said something I shouldn't have said. Where is that in the Bible? You know, and so. Right. I think guys get a little intimidated. Like I just won't try because I have no idea where to start. So I love that. I mean, that website, that might be gold. I might have to check that out for sure. Um, okay. So parenting your life, you've done a lot more right than you've done wrong. I'm, I'm going to put words in your mouth and I'm not going to allow that. you to dispute that. Hang on. Let so, me get my wife down here. Honey, yeah, honey, yeah, yeah. John wants to know. <laughs> Honey, how do we clip this part of the podcast to where it plays? It's your wake-up call. It's your ringtone. How do we get this uh, as your ringtone? Um, so give me a highlight reel maybe of a couple things you're most proud of to this point. Just looking around, you've got fruit all over the place with your kids. But uh, what could you say, because you're not a guy that'll talk 
a lot about the great, magnificent things that Ken Evans does, but I want to give you Oof. a pass maybe to give me a highlight mm. reel real quick of a couple of things that you, you can stand on that says, man, that's evidence that I, I got it right. Man, I'll tell you one thing that uh, was impressed upon me when I was a late teenager uh, and it stuck with me. It mm. stuck with me and it was pull people in who know more than you do. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson had a really famous quote where he said, Every man I meet is in some way my superior, and in that, I endeavor to learn. And so <clears throat> Dale Carnegie re re rephrased it in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, but um, Ralph Waldo Emerson was on to something, and it's basically the book of Proverbs rewritten, right, in that we, we need to go find wisdom. And mm -hmm. so one, one thing that I have um, become a huge fan of is being able to spend time around other people who know things I don't know. And guess what? That's everybody. That mm. is everybody. The way, mm. the way Dale Carnegie said it, which he was one of the richest guys ever in American history. He said, you know, if I had to go be homeless tomorrow, I would need to go find a homeless guy to show me how to be homeless because he knows how to be homeless and I don't. Wow. And I just thought, man, what a great perspective uh, is that <clears throat> everybody mm. I meet knows something I don't. And I am, I mean, just for a second, I'm going to get up on my little soapbox. I am only 5'3", so like I do need a soapbox even to see into the top shelf of the kitchen drawer. So like I would say, man, one thing that I get up on my soapbox about is most men are so insecure. They spend all their time trying to prove to other people how great they are, and they just run their mouth all the time. Mm -hmm. And they don't ask questions. They don't listen. They don't seek to get feedback from other men. And again, I'm not saying I did it perfectly. I am intentional. I am intentional where when I'm around other guys, um, I try hard to learn. I was with a 22 year old guy yesterday who could teach me things about videography, storytelling, fundraising, wow. crowdfunding. He's raised more money in crowdsourcing than I've ever raised in crowdsourcing. So like, bro, I could come up with a list of four or five things and I've known the guy for 90 minutes. And oh so- we have got to develop. We don't have to. That sounds authoritarian. If you want your wife to respect you, and if you want your kids to want to talk to you when they're adults, you're going to want to learn how to listen and how to ask questions. And you're going to want to learn how to pull people in around you who can see you and give you feedback and help you see around corners you can't otherwise see around. And I would say yeah. like, that was something a guy impressed upon me when I was 17 or 18, a counselor. He told me that. And man, you know, I'm on year 30 something plus of continuing to try to hone that skill and get mm -hmm. even better and better at that. Yeah. I mean, hey, gentlemen, I want to take a step back from this conversation real quick to just let you know of a free resource I have available coming in the next couple of weeks. Uh, all you have to do is email me lastinlineleadership at gmail.com and give me your address, email address. Uh, and I will send you this resource. It is all about strategic spiritual warfare, learning who our enemy is, what he's about, what his tactics are, and what we have available to fight against him. Uh, I want to thank our partners, Uncommon, where they are equipping men to be the husbands, fathers, and leaders we were called to be. Thank you for your support. Thank you for partnering with Last In Line. And let's get back to the conversation we're having with our great guest here at Last In Line. Yeah, I mean, I think it might even be Proverbs, and I might be wrong, but it says there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's it, it it doesn't necessarily mean you just, you know, look listen to the guy that's got the most followers on Instagram. Most likely it doesn't mean that. I mean, it, there's guys like Kent, there's guys that are out there that um, that you know that, like Kent said, you know, it's, it's somebody, there's somebody in line at the grocery store that knows more than you. There's, there's a lot of people that know more than you. So I guess pursue knowledge and, and maybe where you find that void in your own life as a parent, maybe look around and see who's doing it right. Uh, you know, someone that's got the fruit. And I do want to talk about fruit here in a second um, mm. because I have a kind of a burning question around that. But before I do that, so when we were talking about earlier, this weight, right, this delayed harvest we're talking about, and the weight of that waiting period, what would you say you're seeing in the guys you, you minister to or disciple or coach, or even you, uh, what are some of the mindset traps we can fall into? What are some of the ways we can 
kind of trickle into uh, a, maybe an unhealthy emotional mental state as we're waiting this impatience, this, mm. okay, man, I feel like I'm doing it, but doesn't seem like it's enough or it doesn't seem like it's the right thing. Maybe it really is the right thing. What, what kind of traps mm. do we get into mentally there? Well, let me pause for a second and just say, man, <clears throat> John, you ask really good, insightful questions. You need to keep doing podcasting because, man, Appreciate you that. have a way of drawing out insights that uh, most guys don't even know how to start with. So kudos. Man. Well, that's, a great, that's a great question. I listen to the hmm. Father on Purpose podcast. <laughs> I get, exactly. I take notes from those yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of truth in that, right. Where we're all, we're mm-hmm. all learning as we go. Right. And we're, you know, we're gathering this little thing here and that little thing there. Right. Uh, and I might figure out, you know, how to do one little thing and you figure out how to do another. And between the two of us, we know how to do it yeah. all. Like that's just, that's a, you know, it's the body of Christ at work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say some of the pitfalls we fall into is, well, let's say the pitfalls that Kent falls into, let me put it that way, uh, is impatience. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned it, you just said it a second ago. It is the fact that um, if I, I, my pastor, Bob Russell, used to say, we tend to overestimate what we can accomplish in one year and underestimate what we can accomplish in five. Mm. And man, for a dude listening, mm. just pause for a second and listen to that quote again. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, there's a lot of wisdom in that quote. We tend to overestimate what we can accomplish in one year. We tend to underestimate what we can accomplish in five. And his the principle that he's, of course, touching on is just that Galatians 6, 9, we started with the mm-hmm. faithful effort, a faithful effort, and we let God produce the fruit because he's a way better fruit producer than we are. Um, so le- let God produce the fruit. So I think we get impatient. At least I get impatient. Uh, as, a, as a cousin to that, a, a sister or brother or cousin to that patient, patience problem is I overcommit. I try to do too much. Mm. Um, I was literally on a phone call earlier today where I was having to share with a, a close friend of mine that, Hey man, I'm going to have to start saying no to some things that uh, in the past I've said yes to. And part of the reason I've said yes to them is because of my ego. It's not because I'm just so talented and all that. It's because I want to be needed. And so I say yes to too much. And I've got to really, really, guard against that, especially when it comes to kind of waiting on the harvest instead of, you know, it's, it's, I love, I love Bible stories and you go back and you just see guys get in trouble when they refused to wait. <laughs> and I'm thinking of like yeah. Abraham who had been promised a son and he's like, I got a better way to get this done faster. Yeah. And so now here we are thousands of years later and we're still dealing with the conflict between the seed of Abraham that was not the right seed and the seed of Abraham that was the chosen seed. We're still dealing with that conflict. Here mm-hmm. we are thousands of years later. And that, that level of, of hurriedness and impatience and trying to do too much is what I think often gets us in trouble in those seasons where we do need to be waiting. Yeah. And, and I guess for, for some guys that you see going through maybe that season or that you've seen in the past, I mean, how else do you see it manifest? Like, are there patterns? Are there, yeah maybe behaviors that people slip into that all because they couldn't quite wrap their brain around it's coming. Mm. Like they force the breakthrough, I guess, or they, they sit around (laughs) and they lose heart, right. To that scripture again, but they lose heart. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, maybe that wasn't for me. Maybe I'm going to go over here to this outlet that is absolutely not going to serve me. You know, uh, there, I have one of the guys who's mentored me um, uh, quite a bit over the last five years. His name is Greg, and he has said a lot of things to me that are super memorable. And the, part of it is what he said. It's also the way he said it and all that. He's just amazing coach and mentor. And one of the things he said to me really early in the manhood journey um, uh, ministry work that I was doing is something I never forgot. And maybe a dad or a, a man of any kind uh, or woman listening to this can really benefit from what Greg shared with me. And he said, Kent, you're going to have your hands in the manhood journey machine. You're like a mechanic and you're going to be busting your knuckles and that, that, that nut won't give way. And you're going to be banging that thing. And you're going to be trying that, that wrench. And you're going to be bloodying your fingers in the manhood journey machine. He goes, and that's healthy. That's the work 
God's called you to do. So keep your hands in the machine and keep trying, even if your hands get bloodied. He goes, but don't forget what God is trying to do to the mechanic. Stop looking at every problem you have as something to be solved. And instead, look at every problem you have as something to learn from and ask God, what are you trying to change in me during Mm. this thing? In, Mm. In dealing with that person, in solving that problem, in handling that crisis, in overcoming that struggle, what are you trying to teach me? How are you want me to be different on the other side of this problem? And then you start to find there can be joy in the waiting. Yeah. Because you realize, man, what God's trying to do is he's trying to bring the fruit of joy or patience or self-control in my life. Normally, that means he slows things down and makes them go a lot slower than you'd like because he's trying to bring about that fruit in your life. And so for me, let's stop. Let me encourage guys like Greg encourage me. Don't just focus on the thing you're doing or the problem to be solved, or your wife did this, or your kids did that, or your boss didn't do this, or your boss did do that. Instead, ask yourself, okay, God, you've got me in this situation. Um, What do you want me to learn from it? How do you want me to be different? And then you find it's kind of like, I like to do crossword puzzles, John. I don't do them very often. In fact, I almost only do them when I fly on an airplane. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know why that is. It's like I have a Pavlov's dog. I mean, the plane takes Mm -hmm. off. I'm doing a crossword. Um, and for me, then I don't concern myself myself with how long it's taken to get off the tarmac and have we backed away yet? And is the flight on time? I'm just going to go do the crossword puzzle because you know what I can't do? I can't control the stupid length of the plane flight and I can't control whether we arrive on time or not or I make my connection. I'm totally out of control of all that. So I find a way to distract my brain so that I don't worry about all that stuff. Um, yeah. For me, part of that is what Greg told me. If we find joy in how God's changing us, we won't be so impatient during the times we have to wait. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, Cause I mean, I, I don't know a guy that, you know, only every guy I know deals with patience. So, or impatience. So, I, I mean, God is going to give you opportunities. I, I heard that said, you know, he's not going to just give it to you. He's going to give you opportunities to develop it, which that's not fun. Um, I'd rather have the answers to the test. I wouldn't, I don't want to go to the library and study. <laughs> Um, you know, and right. so, uh, you mentioned something about guys not feeling like they're doing enough and it really, again, almost makes it more about them than it does the process or the people they're serving. But why do guys feel like failures sometimes? Like why do parents specifically parenting? Mm. Like I'm a failure if my kid doesn't do this because he's been shown this, like, is it because we're comparing to our neighbor, the guy down the street or the guy, you know, bright, shiny guy on Instagram or, or is it because, you know, we, we think that we've got this unrealistic expectation. Like what is, what do you think? Why do guys feel like failures so often? Um, I think it goes back to what you and I were talking about earlier. And that is most dads, their problem isn't exactly just being a dad or a mom. Her problem is not just being a mom. The problem is theological. So okay. like, here's yeah. what I mean by that. Here's I what I mean to fix by that. everything. Yeah. Was there ever, was there ever a perfect dad? And the answer is yes, actually there was one God, the father in the mm-hmm. garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's just start there. How did his kids quote unquote turn out? Yeah. Well, they rebelled, did exactly what he said not to do, destroyed mankind for all time. Oh, <laughs> and the grandkids murdered each other and on we go. And so, wait a minute, time out. So let me see if I could get this straight. If I could become the perfect father, my kids would rebel and my grandkids would murder each other. Okay, so moving on from that, yeah, I can't be the perfect father. So yeah. when we realize, when we realize, again, the, it's the theological problem. It's the problem that we go, wait a minute, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to be a perfect dad? Uh, no. Am I trying to create perfect children? No, if I did a great job as a dad, will my kids never sin or fall or fail? No. So once I understand all that biblically, I'm like, oh, okay, got it. So the problem du jour is my, you know, 11 year old is punching my eight year old. Is that because I'm a failure as a dad? Uh, Maybe, 
Maybe, right. but but probably not. It's right. probably because they're 11 and eight and I probably just need to step in and stop the punching. So sure. like some of this is just life, man. And we live in a fallen world. And when you know you live in a fallen world, you stop trying to be perfect and yeah. you just try to be faithful. Well, I, that's perfect answer. And and that goes right into what I was going to. So the reflect the, the, the root or the fruit's not always a reflection of the root necessarily, in my opinion. Like I, I don't necessarily, like you said, and I had somebody tell me like, are, is God a bad father because you screw up and sin on a daily basis? No. <laughs> so yeah, that's a great. And I'm glad you said that because I was going right there. Um, but again, it goes back to uh, the, the theology element you just keep you, you bring up um, stewardship. Like if we got a real grasp of stewardship to the degree of these kids are what we're managing, right? We don't own them. We didn't really and truly, ultimately, we didn't create them. I mean, we were a part of that, uh, but we're here to steward these children. I, I mean, I don't know that the manager at, you know, Ross department store, if Joe, the employee stacks the shirts wrong, like, am I going to be mad at Joe, the manager? You know, I, so, so we, we are in a fun world and we do steward over these kids and we do our best to sow good seeds and to train up a child in the way they should go. Right. And it says they will not depart from it when they're older. It doesn't say they're going to walk this perfect line if we, you know, train them up. So yeah, I love that you mentioned that about God, the father. Mm, yeah. yeah. We, we've got to stay aligned to that or we'll drive ourselves crazy. Uh, and again, we probably have a bigger problem with dads being too unengaged. So I don't want to, sure. I don't want to, I don't want to have dads all back off because God's in control, but I, sure, sure. but I, I do want to, I do want to encourage the dads or the men listening to say, Hey man, dive in, do your part. Let God handle the results. Let the outcomes be his call. Um, because often we're going to get that backward. You know, Paul was beaten and shipwrecked and left for dead and betrayed. Like mm -hmm. Paul's life was tragic after he followed Jesus, but he was on target. He was right on target. And his life was a big giant mess of pain and trouble. Um, mm -hmm. However, that wasn't because he was off target. That's because he was on target. He had an enemy. And so you have an enemy as a man. If you're trying to be a godly man, who walks in purity and is responsible and faithful. If you're trying to be a godly father, you got an enemy, man, you have an enemy and he is going to do everything he can to get you off track. And we got to resist him. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah. So I encourage yeah. men to do that all the time. And he would love nothing more than to divide and, and destroy the, the nuclear family and, what better way to do that than maybe try to estrange your children or, or from you or, you know, create distractions and temptations for them that maybe they haven't quite gotten mature enough to deal with uh, and, and then cause them to. So, so yeah, he's after, he's after our kids, just like he's after our marriage, just after like he's after us. I mean, yeah. it, it is a real thing. Uh, and so I, I encourage like what you said was gold about guys just need to get better at getting in the word and really having it become part of their DNA. So that, so that it's baked in when the enemy does come at them or even at their kids, because you stand in the gap for them and you come, mm. you, you face it head on because you're aware enough to see what's going on because you got mm -hmm. the word and you got the wisdom. The Holy Spirit is directing you and quickening you in those moments. Um, so as we kind of sort of wrap this up, maybe put a bow on this conversation, um, this statistic is alarming and it's not going to be new to you. And I might have it off by a couple percentage points. So I'm going to give a, a broad range so that maybe I can get it in that bucket. Uh, 70 to 80% of kids walk away from their faith when they leave high school. This is what I'm hearing. And, and that's a lot. That's a large number. I had a youth pastor tell me that. So that's somewhere in print. I didn't make that up. Now, of course, there's a 20% that don't, and that's great. 30%. Or Talk about how dads can help create this, I don't know, agency. Kids who have agency in their faith, ownership in their faith, how they can do better at really making it their own, not dad dr drug me to church, not mom drug me, you know, not they made me go to youth on Wednesday night. You know, I'm leaving the nest and I've got agency over my faith. Mm. Talk about that. Yeah. There's a great study and you and I could go find it and maybe link back to some of the results. 
think it was Lifeway that did a study, man, 10 years ago or so. So in the world of research, that's very current. Um, yeah. Uh, and it was, what were the characteristics of the homes where kids did hold on to their faith? Mm. What were the characteristics? And that's, uh, we can find it. And you're not going to maybe put it in the show notes or something, but <clears throat> um, a couple of the characteristics uh, were number one, mom and dad were regular churchgoers. So yeah. that was, that was an important one. You may go, well, no duh. Well, it's, believe it or not, if you go once a month, your kids are going to pick up. It ain't very important to you. Um, secondly, there were environmental things in that study. Like, so for example, playing Christian music, like there was, it was literally one of the things that actually contributed to helping kids not lose their faith. But one of the main, main things that you see in what I'd call the alt case, right? So the cases where kids do grow into a faith and they embrace the faith they grew up in. Um, there's two things that usually tend to be both true. One is dad was in on the play. Mm. It's not mom's faith. It's dad's faith. Good. And so <clears throat> very, very important. Um, I had one pastor tell me that, you know, the, the odds of uh, someone, a family coming to faith, if a child is first are like 13% for the whole family. And the odds, if the woman comes to faith yeah. first, the mom is like 30 something percent. But if the dad is the first to come to faith, it's like 85% chance. Mm -hmm. And so dads play the most critical role in the passing of the faith baton to the next generation, not because women aren't critical, they are crucial to the process, but because kids do understand this thing called fatherhood and headship and God, the father, there's just something about it where dad's in on the play are number one, number two, um, the families where kids did retain their faith and did do that were almost always families where the um it was very low hypocrisy in the home mm. um and so for example if you are taking your kids to church and when you guys get in the car all you do all the way home is gripe about the pastor and how his interpretation of the greek isn't exactly right and that worship song was terrible and the carpet's awful guess what your kids pick up on that eventually and go okay this jesus thing isn't really important to my dad the only thing that's important to my dad is having his preferences be met every Sunday. And when they're not, we're sure going to hear about it. That level of, of hypocrisy and cognitive dissonance that gets created mm -hmm. in homes is one of the biggest reasons kids cite that why they left their faith is because they're like, it wasn't even real. It was a total charade. Um, wow. And so for us as dads, it's so important that we're in on the play and that we are real. We are real with our kids. Um, mm -hmm. that's really good. Crucial. And then we got to let go of the outcomes, right? Again, yeah. perfect dad, garden of Eden, his kids rebel. <laughs> so we're not, a, it's not a vending machine. You don't just put a quarter of faith in and your kids come out the bottom. This perfect Coca-Cola can, Yeah, it's not going to happen like that, man. So you just got to let God have the results. You will be accountable as yeah. a man and as a parent for having done everything you could do to give your kids the choice to pick Jesus as their savior, you will be yeah. accountable for whether you did your part. You yeah. will not be accountable for what their choice was. That's right. You will not be accountable because that ultimately is up to them. That's right. That's great. Uh, and I wonder in your ministry, if you have thought about or already have done any targeting to the college campuses with curriculum or how do we bridge the gap to get them connected? Because I think that's a big thing. You could do those two things perfectly that you just mentioned, but getting them on campus and getting them around like-minded people who share that same angst, homesickness, uh, <laughs> you know, just right. uncertainty about their future, just fear in general. We could get them around those people. I, I don't know. Is, is that a terrible, that's a terrible way to ask the question, but have you thought about ways to, or what worked for your kids to get them involved other than I had one go to a Christian university that doesn't necessarily by default cover all your bases. So no, no, that's a good pointer yeah. for getting them connected. 
we we had one of our oldest uh, two who one's out of college, one is in college, both at, went to and are going to Christian universities and they still get assaulted with all kinds of yeah. choices, right. That are not healthy. Sure. Uh, and so uh, they're, they're not insulated from the world yep. by any stretch, just because they happen to go to a, a you know, Christian university. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is um, I remember hearing a speaker one time say, I'm trying to raise my children so that I release them into the world as adults, not in order to become one. Right. And I remember that phrase was so powerful. And he went on to just talk about how, um, for example, um, there are certain things I want to be true about my kids when they are in that 18 year old age range, 18, 19, and they're going to leave the home. Right. And I'm not just talking about can they put gas in their car and, you know, get up to an alarm. I'm not talking about the mechanics of life. I'm talking about, for example, I remember having this conversation with my 18 year old at one point uh, back when he was 18. He and his mom were getting sideways on a topic. And I asked my wife, I said, hey, will you just go inside for a minute? I want to talk to our son by himself. And so she went inside and I said, hey, man, there's one thing I want to be true about you before you leave my house. And it's not that you agree with me and mom. That is not at all what I want to be true about you. Mm-hmm. I want to be true that you can receive feedback and that you can hear it, mm-hmm. even if you disagree with it. Mm-hmm. I want that to be true about you. In other words, I wasn't just trying to turn him into a productive citizen, a, a miniature political voter just like me. I wasn't mm-hmm. just trying to make all these no tattoos. You know, he's never slept with a girl. I mean, all that's partly true, but, <laughs> but like I was trying to get to the place where. He had the capacity to make decisions and he had the capacity to tell right from wrong. He had the capacity to properly allocate his time. Like those kind of things are things that then when he gets out into the whirlwind that is, you know, whatever college, his first job, whatever, then you know what? That's, that's God's job uh, at that point to take care of him and help him and, you know, put friends around him. I prayed for my kids. I prayed they'd find good friends. Um, and yeah. in all cases, that really has worked out really good for them. They've made really mm-hmm. wise choices and friends and those kind of things are important. But man, you know, at some point you got to let them go and let, and let them, uh, let them learn how to live uh, yeah. like you and I did when we were 20 or 22, it's just going to happen. Yeah. yeah. If you have, I think on the front end, like you said, if you have those criteria that you've uh, built and that foundation built, I think that they gravitate to people who are similar, right? Like if yeah. you've got that laid in them uh to receive feedback to to you know understand how to discern certain things maybe realize distractions you know be aware of what rubs your spirit the wrong way those kinds of things guess what we sort of automatically gravitate that direction to those kind of people i don't know do you think am i off base there i mean it's not by default oh, no, but- i think i think for sure it's even like uh i didn't raise daughters you know i raised all boys Um, but what I have heard from my friends who raised daughters is, you know, how they interacted with their girls when they were 12 and 14 and 16 and 18 really influenced what they were looking for in a future husband, Mm. you know, and that kind of stuff is so important. Um, and I agree with you, man, a lot of that pattern we set in their late teens, um, does accidentally become what they start to look for, uh, Mm. as they get out of the home, um, and I want to model a marriage where my kids could say, yeah, my parents weren't perfect at all, but I would like to have a marriage like they had, or yeah. I would like to be, I would like to be on time. My dad was usually on time. I would like to be responsible. If my dad said he's going to pick me up, he'd pick me up. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. Absolutely. They'll start to gravitate toward like-minded individuals for sure. That's real good. All right, man. Well, I, uh, man, we covered a lot and, and I feel like we, we did do what we set out to do with the delayed harvest topic and understanding how to kind of ingrain in us certain disciplines that help us through those, those valleys, if you will, if they're even valleys, um, it's just our flesh and our impatience, really, if you boil it all down, but I got to ask one (laughs) other question. Was it ever, did you ever consider it to be fatherhood journey? Why manhood journey? Did you, um, mm. were you honed in on kind of at first, just sort of this man slash masculinity, what the Bible calls us to be as men, or were you always honed in on this fatherhood element? Yeah. I don't know. That's, That's a, a good question. question. I don't know uh, why. I even no, it's not. That. No, it's not dumb at all. It's really perceptive. Um, 
uh, we started by building Bible studies for dads to do with their sons. And so the specific first thing we did was really geared toward helping young men grow into godly young men uh, or boys grow into godly young men. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the core. And what's funny is our podcast, as you know, is called Father on Purpose. And so we've kind of added content for dads of all kinds. You know, in Mm -hmm. other words, you don't have to have a 10 year old boy to get value out of what we're producing. Um, and it's funny, we have, we have kind of wrestled with straddling the branding fence between, are we mm. just a father son ministry? Are we a father ministry? Uh, and so, yeah, I would say like, we're probably gonna have to figure that out at some point. Cause that's a really perceptive question. Uh, and one we have talked about, but that was the Genesis of what we yeah, started. That makes, that makes sense. I mean, it was almost a vision of rite of passage almost and, and kind yeah. of getting those guys equipped for that next stage. I mean, I get it. That makes a ton of, ton of sense, but yeah, um, I will, uh, when you're on the podium, you know, taking credit for that, I will, I will let you give me a shout out for John Shively rebranded this ministry. Gladly, gladly. No. I will be doing that. Well, Kent, man, I appreciate you. Uh, do you have any other, maybe a parting shot for guys, just a final encouragement, one or two sentences that uh, sums up the answers to the test for them? <laughs> uh, read more scripture, ask better questions. Just lean into your, lean into your kids and uh, be, 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 a, be as much a listener as you are a talker, especially That's as they good. get into those teen years. That'll produce a lot of fruit for you. John, thank you for your time today. You're you're an awesome, awesome friend. Thank you for letting me be on. And thank you for the powerful and insightful questions. You're a good man. It's good, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for being there. Always, too, when I reach out, you're always like super responsive. I appreciate that because I know you could be doing a hundred other things. Audience, write some notes. Listen to this again. Kent's got some gold in here. With that, he's been Kent Evans. We've been last in line. Be blessed. 